0: Uh, The first reading is Psalm 48, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. It is beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. Like the utmost heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there, pain like that of a woman in labour. You destroyed them like ships of Tarshish shattered by an east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God. God makes us secure forever. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go round her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. Amen. Amen.
1: Second reading is taken from two Corinthians, um, verse twelve, chapters two to t- oh, chapter twelve, verses two to ten. Sorry, <clears throat> Paul's vision and his thorn. I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know; God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows was caught up to paradise He heard inexpressible things Things that man is not permitted to tell I will boast about a man like that But I will not boast about myself Except about my weaknesses Even if I should choose to boast I would not be a fool Because I would be speaking the truth But I refrain So no one will think more of me than is warranted By what I do or say To keep me from becoming conceited, because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen.
2: When we consider the reading we've just heard about Paul's Thorn, I'd like to ask you when it comes to the subject of pain and suffering, how does faith help? To be honest with you, in my experience, faith hasn't always helped, not in the short term at least. I've had experiences where my pain and my discomfort or my grief has overridden my faith. And I've known people who have had faith in God, but then abandoned their faith when suffering has become too great. And I've known people whose lives have been blessed with profound spiritual experiences, but then found their faith insufficient in times of crisis. Are they wrong? I heard a story recently about a family who were members of a church in America. Mother and father were both believers. They'd both had numerous experiences of God's power in their lives and they were doing all that they could to make sure that their three children grew up to believe in God. But then disaster struck. One of the daughters was diagnosed with cancer and countless prayers were said on her behalf, but she died. Then a second daughter was diagnosed with cancer. Again, countless prayers were said, but she too died. In the shock, in the grief, in the anger, and in the pain, their facing in God began to crumble. Then the final blow came when the mother was diagnosed with cancer. Many who knew her knew her story, or had even just heard about her, prayed. They prayed for healing on her behalf, but in time she too succumbed to the disease. And what little remained of the husband's faith and the surviving daughter's faith died too. They could no longer see a purpose in seeking God or asking him to help them through their pain, so they simply turned away. And who knows, if I'd been in their shoes, maybe I'd have done the same thing. To them, their faith was more of a hindrance than a help when crisis came. It was just evidence that God didn't listen, or worse still, didn't exist. So why was that? Why did they react in that way? Well, I don't know for sure. I've got a hunch. It occurs to me that sometimes our faith or trust in God is constrained by our expectations. If we trust God to keep us from suffering or to end our suffering quickly once it's already come upon us then we set ourselves up for a disillusionment when life turns out differently and life often does turn out differently. And when that happens, that kind of faith doesn't hold up too well. But does faith have to be a hindrance? I don't think so. Faith can help when suffering comes, but it's more a matter of trusting God with whatever life brings, rather than hemming God in with a set of expectations that can't stand up to the harsh realities of life. Does that mean we shouldn't pray for an end to suffering? Or we shouldn't ask for healing to take place? No. We should pray what's in our hearts openly and honestly to God. But then we should leave the rest to God and trust God with whatever comes. But that can be tough. I won't even pretend to tell you that that is easy. So where does that leave us and our reading? Where does that leave Paul and his thorn? He writes about an affliction, as if he's referring to somebody else, but then he gives himself away. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, I find that really interesting. That even with all that Paul had done for Christ, in his name and for his glory, this did not immunize Paul from suffering. So, what was it? What was this thorn in the flesh that tormented Paul? We're not told. Some people have guessed, but we're not told. All we know was that it tormented him and he wanted rid of it. He says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Did he renounce his faith? Did he turn away from God? No. He kept listening. And in the midst of his torment, he heard God say to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. How exactly, Paul heard, we don't know. But however it happened, Paul found the strength and the power to carry on. And he found his power not in the ecstasy of his vision and revelation, but in the weakness of his suffering. Paul's faith helped him endure his torment. It seems so easy, doesn't it? Just believe and everything's okay. You and I know that life is not that cut and dried. I think for me, the good thing and the helpful thing about this story isn't the fact that Paul stayed faithful despite his affliction. That's an added bonus. It's the fact that he asked for it to be taken away. That's logical, that's normal, that's human. It's not wrong to ask for suffering to leave us, and it's not wrong to get annoyed when it doesn't. But ultimately, we have to allow for the fact that despite how we might be feeling about God, He still loves us. And we, as a fellowship, as the body of Christ, must learn to love too. That means not judging someone because they're not instantly healed. It means not insinuating that their faith is incomplete because they still suffer. And it means not thinking ourselves weak or a bad Christian if we ask for it to stop. And I am continually amazed at the strength some people show when they go day after day in pain or distress and still get up. They get up, they get dressed, and they come to church, and they worship God, and it continually amazes me. There's a piece in Hebrews where it says that Jesus suffered outside the gate, and then goes on to say, "'Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp and bear the abuse he endured.'" we don't live in camps like the Israelites do, did. So what might outside the camp stand for now? What might it mean for us? The camp for Israel was the place of safety and sanctity, whereas outside the camp there were dangers of wild animals and dangers of enemies. Outside the camp, Was where the unclean animals and rubbish was to be buried. So outside the camp there was potential danger and the risk of uncleanliness. The camp on the other side, on the other hand, sorry, was comfortable and clean and safe and sacred. I reckon the call to go outside the camp means let's go outside the place of comfort and safety and religious sanctuary and let's join Jesus in the risky places, the dangerous places and the dirty places. But you might be thinking, hang on a minute, outside the camp there's strangeness. Outside there are uncertainties. There are drug dealers and pimps and prostitutes. There's unpredictable gangs out there. Noisy kids are there. Your unbelieving colleague or neighbour or classmate is there. There is wildness and unpredictability outside the camp. And loud music and pushing and shoving and all the unreached peoples of the world. So, what are we to do with our pain? Do we hide it as a a shameful thing, a thing that proves that God doesn't work? Or do we, as Christ did, take it outside of our camp and say, It hurts, but God is real? I'm frightened, but God is real. I don't have all the answers for why this is happening, but God is real. Maybe that's what we have to do. Maybe that's how we reach people with the God of love, by showing them that it hurts, but God is real. Whatever happens outside of this camp is between you me, and God. But I do believe it means we're to bring the love of Christ into the relationship that already exists here, too. A relationship that's free to admit that there is pain, there is uncertainty, and there's fear. A relationship of love that supports and cares and listens to the anger and the hurt. A love that allows for not having all the questions, Sorry, not having all the answers. A love that holds that person up to God when they're too weak to do it themselves. Paul didn't write about his thorn because he had a couple of pages to fill. He wasn't bored one afternoon and thought, oh, I'll write about that then. He wrote about it because we need to know that he hurt the same as we did. He wanted to be free of that pain, same as we do. And he asked God for that freedom, the same as we would do. As many of you know, I had cancer back in 2004, and I hated it. And I hated God for letting me have it. And I hated him for all the sorrow and the anguish he brought to those people who were close to me. What happened to my relationship with God is between me and him. But it was the love I felt from those around me that helped me through. It was through that love that I could start to feel God's love seeping through. And it's through that love that my faith began to strengthen again. And I hope and I pray that should I ever go through something like that again, I will remember that love, compassion, that God showed me through the actions of others, and that my faith will not be a hindrance, but a help. I don't know what life's going to bring us. I cannot see into the mind of God. And I can't offer you any answers about suffering and I really wish I could. All I can do is pray for a faith in me and in you that keeps seeking God in honesty and truth no matter what life may bring. And a renewed desire in all of us to stand with those among us who suffer and have no words and offer our prayers for them and stand with them while they offer their prayers to God. Amen.